0: It might be time to check your fluid levels. A little cultural tune up on this episode of Pushback. you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Dr. Johnny here, and this is another episode of Pushback. I'm so grateful that you join me uh, each week and listen to these real culturally relevant topics. I've been uh, just Praying a lot lately. To just have to have the courage uh, to continue to bring these important topics to the forefront, and not only just to discuss them into the air, but to give real practical talking points to you, my listeners, as we engage the culture, as we also have the courage to not go into the fetal position. We're not helpless victims of the culture. We don't just bob down the river of culture, but we actually set the culture. That's my heart and that's what drives me each and every week to even go into some of these important sensitive topics and bring real truth and life. And and hopefully it'll be life-giving to you as well. I think about my parents. Hello, mom and dad uh they they obviously <laughs> listen every week as most parents would and uh they shared with me that sometimes they feel down about the news and the things that are happening in this world and so my message to to my parents as i give this podcast is don't feel down about this because this is a you know it says in the bible in matthew chapter 7 that they'll be known by the fruit and I think by the end of this podcast, you'll realize that the fruit of what is happening culturally uh, in this topic of of, of transgender issues and, and gender identity uh, simply won't bear fruit. And sometimes it becomes even in the realm of the absurd or laughable. And it says, you know, in Matthew 7 that I referred to, it says that, Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Who's them? It's the ones who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. It's about disguise and suppression. And that's what we have to be aware of here on this earth as cultural ambassadors of heaven here, that we need to be aware that there are wolves in sheep's clothing, I shared a little bit last week about the Equality Act. I believe that is one example of that. That we need to be, we need to have our eyes open to what the world is doing. And we need to be proactive and responsive to what they do. This is, you know, this flies in the face of absolute truth, which is a, you know, a a pillar of what we believe as Christians. Because the opposite of that is everything is fluid, changeable. Progressive is the word they like to use. I had a a mentor, Dr. Clark, when I was in residency. I just love this man, a God-fearing man. And and somebody came and started giving us a real liberal message about that there is no absolute truth. And Dr. Clark's hand popped right up quickly in the air. And he said, by saying there is no absolute truth, isn't that an absolute statement? (laughs) And he said to this man, isn't it possible that there is absolute truth, but you just haven't discovered it yet? That'll be in my mind forever because I was so proud of him for the courage to stand up and speak truth. And when we talk about sexuality or talk about sex and gender identity, we need to be clear that these are really two different things. See, there are If if you ask the question, how many sexes are there? The answer is based on the sole criterion of production of reproductive cells. There are two and only two sexes, is what biology would say. The female sex, capable of producing large gametes called ovules, and the male sex, which produce small gametes called spermatozoa. (laughs) It's a biological answer to a very simple question. And of course, there are chromosomal, hormonal, internal and external reproductive differences between male and female. And of course, the, the, the liberal um, uh, society has been looking for gay or transgender genes and there aren't any. And biology has proven that, and that's simply just not discussed anymore because that has been settled by science. And yet, there are many different, what we'd call, gender identities, apparently. Doing a quick Google search, some would say there are over a hundred. <laughs> but in addition to male and female, they say that there's transgender, gender neutral, non-binary, agender, pangender, gender-queer, two-spirit third gender, and all, none, or a combination of these. And so this becomes a problem in our society because we we aren't able to distinguish what on earth we're talking about here. There was an article written by Ryan Anderson. He's a PhD, and it's entitled Transgender Ideology is Riddled with Contradictions, and here are the big ones. That's the title. And I believe that Ryan Anderson hit the nail on the head because as you know, I like to get to the core issues. The core issues. And he talks about how feelings dictate reality. Or he's saying the proposal that feelings ought to dictate reality. So let me read a little bit from his article. He says, why should feeling like a man, whatever that means, make someone a man? Why do our feelings determine reality on the question of sex, but on little else? Our feelings don't determine our age or our height. If those who identify as transgender are the sex which with, with, with which they identify, why doesn't that apply to other attributes or categories of being? What about people who identify as animals? Or able-bodied people who identify as disabled? Do all these self-professed identities determine reality? If not, why not? I think about, I was just talking to my kids the other day, that when I play sports with them, I would like to identify as a 20-year-old, maybe make make me play better. (laughs) But the reality is I'm in a 51-year-old body. I think about, you know, American Idol has an age limit. I think it's 28 of which participants can participate in their show. It's interesting because they are very quick to applaud transgender and gay contestants, but why aren't age limits fluid? Anderson goes on to say, And should these people receive medical treatment to transform their bodies to accord with their minds? It's a great question. Why accept transgender reality, but not transracial, transspecies, or transabled reality? The challenge for activists is to explain why a person's real sex is determined by an inner gender identity. But age and height and race and species are not determined by an inner sense of identity. He goes on to say, of course, a transgender activist could reply that an identity is, by definition, just an inner sense of self. But if that's the case, gender identity is merely a disclosure of how one feels. Saying that someone is transgender then says only that the person has feelings that he or she is the opposite sex. Gender identity, so understood, has no bearing at all on the meaning of sex or anything else. But transgender activists claim that a person's self-professed gender identity is that person's sex. So they have a real problem here, is what he's saying. They can't have it both ways. Gender identity, so understood, uh, I'm sorry, the challenge for activists is to explain why the mere feeling of being male or female makes someone male or female. Gender identity can sound a lot like religious identity, which is determined by beliefs. But those beliefs don't determine reality. Someone who identifies as a Christian believes that Jesus is the Christ. Someone who identifies as a Muslim believes that Muhammad is the final prophet. But listen, but Jesus either is or is not the Christ, and Muhammad either is or is not the final prophet, regardless of what anyone happens to believe. It goes back to my comment about absolute truth, so too a person either is or is not a man, regardless of what anyone, including that person, happens to believe. It's so well said. The challenge for transgender transgender activists is to present an argument for why transgender beliefs determine reality. And then he says, I think, the most important sentence in in his message, At the core of the ideology is the radical claim that feelings determine reality. Wow. That'll preach. That'll preach on so many levels, even in the church, even in our own spirituality, in the way that we live. We need to not be guided and directed by our feelings. Feelings betray us. He goes on to say, from this idea come extreme demands. Listen. For society to play along with subjective reality claims. Trans ideologies ignore contrary evidence and competing interests. They disparage alternative practices and they aim to muffle skeptical voices and shut down any disagreement. So that's a long introduction to really what I want to talk about today very specifically is this idea of of transgender athletes and and the the injection of transgender reality into our everyday life. I use athletics because I think it's such a perfect cross-section. It's like this piece that we can really engage with that gives us a really good conversational item to talk about in this regard. I believe this Ryan Anderson laid down a a beautiful case for why it's so stinking confusing. (laughs) And by the time I'm done reading some of these examples, you're not going to be less confused, but more confused. And it will be an indictment on the fruits of this movement. In USA Today, there's an article entitled Transgender Athletes Don't Belong in Girls Sports. Let My Daughter Compete Fairly. And this was a, an article written by a mother of Selena Sewell. She's a female runner in Connecticut. And it talks about two biological males who identify and compete as women, and they easily defeated all of their female competitors in the event at the Connecticut State Track Championships. Transgender athlete Terry Miller broke the state record in the girls' 100-meter dash, and Andrea Yearwood, also transgender, took second place. Selena Sewell, a female runner, an accomplished female runner, by the way, lost to the biological males in the championships, but also lost out on valuable opportunities to be seen by college coaches and chosen for scholarships. Sewell said about the 100-meter event, we all know the, we, all knew, we all knew the outcome of the race before it even started. It's demoralizing. In this article is a very interesting little paragraph, kind of an aside note. But in 2019, there was a rally that was co-hosted, this maybe should give us hope, it was co-hosted by a radical feminist organization, Women's Liberation Front, and the conservative Concerned Women for America. And they joined forces for arguments in a Supreme Court case involving gender identity. And it was cited in this article. That should give us hope. That we as Christians can engage the secular world and find common ground. The article goes on to say, Whatever you believe about gender identity in general, the simple fact is that biology is what matters in athletics, not a person's identity. Gender identity can be changed. Sex is embedded in our DNA and cannot be changed. It is reflected in realities like lung capacity and bone density. Sex is not gender. Boys will always have certain physical advantages over girls. That's the reason we have women's sports in the first place. Boys' bodies are simply different on average. They're bigger, stronger, and faster, even if the male athlete receives hormones. Science and common sense tells us this. And so do the times at track events. It goes on to say, too many parents, coaches, and authority figures are silent on this issue. Worse, young women like Selena Sewell in Connecticut are being bullied and called sore losers, transphobic, for simply seeking fairness in sports. We are being bullied into silence. We must speak up in order to stop this takeover of women's rights. This isn't fair. Women and girls everywhere deserve, listen, a level playing field in sports. Where have we heard that term before? This is what we're calling for. And this is the other side calling for a level playing field. This is why this is awfully confusing. I want to read one more article to you or portions of it because I believe this is such a great example of what we are up against in this conversation. This is uh, by Christy uh, Ashwanden. Uh, from science magazine uh, 2019 it's entitled trans athletes are posting victories and shaking up sports Uh, it, it starts by saying transgender athletes are having a moment at all levels of sports they're stepping onto the podium and into the headlines And they cite many different examples, such as New Zealand weightlifter Laurel Hubbard, who won two gold medals, and college senior CeCe Telfer became the NCAA Division II National Champion in the 400-meter run. And I love this comment because I believe this sums up this podcast quite well. Nowhere are the debates around transgender rights as stark as they are in sports, where the temptation to draw a hard biological line has run up against the limits of what science can offer. The outcome, at least so far, is an inconsistent mix of rules that leaves almost nothing resolved. It's the fruits I'm talking about. So in the NCAA, for example, transgender women can compete on women's teams after they completed one year of testosterone suppression treatment. Then it goes on to talk about all different levels of testosterone, and what's considered acceptable and not, and uh, and, and compared to uh, men versus women. And the lower limits that a, a biological male can compete in is still five times higher testosterone levels than the average woman. So which approach is most fair? (laughs) Fair is a very subjective word, says Joanna Harper, a transgender woman, distance runner, and researcher who served on the IOC committee that developed the organization's current rules. It boils down to whom you're trying to be fair to, Harper says. Interesting. To billions of typical women who cannot compete with men at high levels of a sport, or a very repressed minority in gender, transgender people who only want to enjoy the same things that everyone else does, including participation in sports. So please hear these next couple paragraphs. One way to address these issues, Heather and her colleagues wrote in an essay published in the Journal of Medical Ethics, would be to create a handicap system that uses an algorithm to account for physiological parameters such as testosterone, hemoglobin levels, height, and endurance capacity, as well as social factors like gender identity and socioeconomic status. Really? Such an algorithm would be analogous to the divisions in the Paralympics and may also include Paralympians, they write. Instead of two divisions, male and female, there would be multiple ones, and athletes would be placed into a division which best mitigates unfair physical and social parameters the algorithm would be would need to be sport specific and heather and her colleagues acknowledge that producing it would be a difficult task <laughs> that is the understatement of the year could you imagine Another approach would be to create a third category for people who don't fit neatly into the male-female dichotomy, including intersex people who are born, what, with a mix of male and female traits. Although this might sound like a simple solution, Harper says, that as a transgender person myself, listen, I don't want to compete in a third category, which many people would see as a freak category. It could also limit opportunities for gender athletes if there are not enough of them to fill out a team or category. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is what it's come to. So mom and dad, if you're listening, this is the fruit. It's not a sustainable fruit. But it, it highlights the absurdity of of pushing through this counter-cultural agenda. It flies in the face of not only, of course, our faith and what we believe, but biology and other people's human rights. And the discrimination, yes, it's the right word, the discrimination in this particular instance against women themselves You know, we talked a lot about, even in the previous podcast, like locker room situations where a biological male could enter into a female locker room and all of the problems that would ensue. And I just feel like it would take one lawsuit in my local high school for this whole thing to blow up if something happened or someone was endangered or felt uncomfortable There are so many levels and these young women in this locker room who maybe have already been victimized, I've given you the statistics on that, that they would feel extremely vulnerable and uneasy. What about their rights? What about their heart? What about their feelings in those situations? And the part that floors me is that nobody in any of these articles seem to be talking about the scenario where a biological woman would be welcomed into a male locker room could you imagine i've been in a man's locker room i went through high school i know the things that are talked about and teased about and laughed about could you imagine if there was a biologically female member of the team allowed into the locker room and what would happen there because they should be allowed under this, under this provision, under this understanding, that if they identify as male, they should be allowed into the male locker room. Could you imagine the cultural and the, the, the implications that would take place in that environment? This article goes on to say that sports, <laughs> this is so telling, and proves my point from previous podcasts. Sports can be a lifesaver for transgender people who are at high risk of suicide. They've been fighting themselves and feeling like they were in the wrong body and sports gives them a place to be happy about their body and what it can do. This is another example of the secular world trying to treat the depression and the pain of LGBT community with sports. Sports is going to cure them? Are you kidding me? that maybe they could feel happy? It's about feelings. They just want them to feel happy. Where to draw the line between inclusiveness for transgender athletes? This is by Joanna Harper, who's continuing, the the transgender athlete. She writes, where to draw the line between inclusiveness for transgender athletes and fairness for others is an ethical question that ultimately requires value judgments that can only be informed, not decided by science. You know, this gets me so fired up because there's so often on so many other topics that Christians are referred to as science deniers. <laughs> and yet repeatedly in this realm and other realms, in the realm of science and evolution and, 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 Uh, climate change, all these different issues. It's it's the secular world that is denying science repeatedly and then accusing us of being science deniers. It drives me crazy. She goes on to say, even basic notions of a level playing field, there's the word again, both sides want a level playing field, aren't easy to codify. What means, I'm sorry, which means that at some point, The question of who is a woman becomes a cultural inquiry. Whoa. She used the word culture. That's my word. It becomes a cultural inquiry. Well, my friends, let's have it. Let's have a cultural inquiry. Let's be on the front line of the cultural inquiry. Let's be on the front line of the fruit that is being borne out every day in this line of thinking as trying to force an ideological, a philosophy, a religion on us. And let's talk about that. Let's have a cultural inquiry so that we can determine as a culture who's a man and who's a woman. And I want to go back because I want to be consistent and I want to be clear. The LGBT community is not the enemy. This is not who we're fighting and this is not who I'm angry with. And in fact, statistics would show that most in the LGBT community do not sign on to many of these radical agenda ideas, such as the Equality Act or the things that we are talking about here in this podcast. They are not the enemy. We need to show them only compassion and love. But we can be incensed. We can be outraged by the fruit of this propaganda, by the fruit of the wolves in sheep's clothing. This goes beyond common sense, my friend, clearly. And I am willing to have the courage to stand up and talk about it. And we need to, to voice a consistent consistency and that common sense in the court of public opinion, but also in actual court if need be. We need to be willing to fight it and to be aggressive because it's a cultural um, insult to the things that we believe in and to basic humanity such as safety for my daughters let's just be frank, for my daughters and for my sons and for the world that they're growing up in and living in. So let's not lose hope, let's not lose vision, and let's not lose energy in standing up for these cultural truths, absolute truth. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear your feedback. This is a sensitive, and important topic and everyone has different perspectives on it, different stories. So please share those with me so that we can go together now to set and shape the culture.